0: Amen, mighty God, we thank You. It's true that You are the miracle-working God, that You're the waymaker, that nothing is too big beyond You, great God, that You're here with us by Your Holy Spirit this morning. And my prayer now, Lord, is that You would help us, Lord, to take hold of the truths You have for us. Thank You for the gift of Your Word. Help us to remember afresh some truths maybe that we have heard before, but Lord, may we take hold of them afresh in a new way. This morning as we open your word together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to add my welcome to you. So good to have you with us, those joining us online as well. Carly is your host there this morning. You're in good hands. And I do want to just um, do a special welcome this morning. We're really blessed to have Pastor Iwan and Leanna here with us this morning. Back when we purchased our city um, uh, facility. A number of years ago now, um, Pastor Irwan at the time um, was just so generous in helping us to take hold of that property and been a big part of our journey. Back then when we met, we were just talking about some of these, these things here. So um, can we just welcome uh, Irwan and Leanna. so good to have you both here with us. Based, based down in Sydney and doing work all around the world, in fact. So really, really special to have you here with us this morning. Thanks for taking the time to do that. We're continuing our series in Joshua this morning. Uh, We're up to Joshua chapter four is what we're looking at together. One of my worst fears as a dad is that um, someone will ask me the birth dates of my children. That's one of my biggest fears. And this happened to me just the other week. Uh, I had to make a doctor's appointment for one of my kids. And sure enough, the receptionist said, could you give me the birth date of of this child? And I, I just went into panic mode. I froze up. Uh, and I sort of remembered the month, and I remembered the day. The year always gets me. What year were they born? My worst experience was when one time someone asked me the birth dates of all of my kids for something I had to sign up for. That was a disaster. Um, but mums have a superpower, I'm sure, when it comes to remembering details like that. But I think for all of us, there are things that we have no trouble remembering, but there are other aspects that we just have trouble remembering the details. It just, we, we find it hard. There are things that we forget Uh, very easily and this crosses over into our spiritual lives as well we can easily uh, struggle or or forget things or we all struggle with what we might describe as spiritual amnesia ever experienced that on your spiritual journey in fact this is a struggle for every one of us I was reading that uh, the most frequent command in the Bible is the command to not fear do not fear or variations of that don't be anxious do not worry And then close behind that, another really frequent command in the Bible is to remember. Interesting, isn't it? Even more apparently than the command to obey is the command to firstly remember. And so here in in Joshua 4, God really wants to imprint on his people that there are some things that they are to remember. There are things that they are not to forget. And often uh, I find that we can get caught up searching for new insight or new revelation or new truth or new experience. And it's important we want to keep growing in our relationship with Christ. But so often what we really need to do is to remember afresh some foundational truths that we've already picked up along the line. But we've let it drift to the side and God has to keep bringing us back to some core foundational truths. And we see this in Joshua 4. So let me... Read this um, section of scripture. It'll come up on the screen or you can follow along with it as well on your device or in your Bibles. It says this, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. In verse 18. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord and no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground when the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, "What do these stones mean?" tell them, "Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you, until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before, uh, when He dried it up before us until we had crossed. We had crossed over, and He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful." And so you might always fear the Lord your God. This is God's word to us this morning. Charles Bean was the official war correspondent uh, for the AIF in the First World War. and After the Gallipoli campaign of 1915, uh, the, Australians, the Australian first AIF moved to the major battle theater of the war at the time, which was on the Western Front in France and Belgium. And uh, the first big battles for the Australians was at Fromelles and Pozier in July 1916. And Charles Bean was there as the the official war correspondent and he was deeply, deeply moved by um, the the sacrifice, the suffering that he saw took place. And it was while he was there on the battlefield witnessing all the suffering, all that the sacrifice was being made, that he had this concept that a memorial needed to be made, The, the concept of the Australian War Memorial was born. Charles Bean and many others quickly realised the importance of not forgetting the sacrifice of these young men and the price of freedom. Also, they realised the importance of not forgetting the horrors and the devastation of war in the hope that this would never happen again. But sadly, our human trait is that we very quickly forget and we know that history has had a habit of repeating itself with devastating consequences. It wasn't too long after, and again, they were on the battlefields there. And this can be the same in our spiritual journey because God knows that no matter how significant an encounter we have had with God in the past, no matter how powerfully we have seen him work in the past, no matter how we have experienced him and seen him and heard from him, He knows that in the midst of the busyness and the pressures of life, everyday life, he knows that when we experience disappointment or when we hit spiritual roadblocks or God doesn't work as we expected him to work, it can be so easy for God to get crowded out and for us to forget who God is, what he has already done for us in the past and what he is calling us to. In Psalm 106, we read about the Israelites coming out of captivity in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and it says this in Psalm 106, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave into their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. In Jeremiah 18.15, it says, yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. They made them walk in byways on roads not built up. It's because they forgot God. They ended up walking down paths that were never intended to walk. And then Isaiah 17, you have forgotten God your Saviour. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant-imported vines Though on on the day you set them out, you make them grow. And on the morning, when you plant them, you bring them to bud. Yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. When we forget God, the consequences are not good. It leads us down wrong paths. It takes us into situations and circumstances. And these are warnings to us about not forgetting God. And this is for all of us this morning, wherever we are on the journey of faith. Even for those who have been on the journey of faith for a long time, we read the story of the Israelites, we realize how easily for any of us we can forget who God is, who we were before God rescued us, where we were in slavery in Egypt, in slavery to sin, and what God has done for us. And we're not to let anything crowd that out. And there are a couple of things that God particularly wanted these people to remember in this really important moment as they're stepping in to the inheritance that God was giving to them. Some things that he wanted these stones at Gilgal to remind them of forever, it says. And the first was this, he wanted them to never forget that he, was a, that he is a miracle working God. That's what he wanted them to remember. You see in verse six, God says that this will be a sign to, among you. This will serve as a sign among you. And that word sign means a pledge or omen, but also miracle is what it means. And we know in the New Testament, the phrase, the signs and wonders, signs and miracles, is a common phrase that we see. And then later in this, in this section of scripture, in verse 18, the writer is so intentional with the details about how the river start, stops flowing the moment the feet, the ark comes in and doesn't stop until the moment the, the priest's feet hit the other side. He very specific details to make very clear to everyone that this was not just some natural, sort of unusual natural occurrence. They wanted to be so clear that this was a supernatural, miraculous act of the creator God. He wanted to be so clear on this. And God wanted to remind his people every time they saw those stones that God, our God, is a miracle-working God. Dwayne Miller um, was a pastor of a church and he had great enjoyment in preaching. He loved just being able to share God's word, but he awoke one Sunday morning and he had um, picked up a flu and it impacted his voice where he could, he'd lost his voice. Very painful, Um, His voice was just a soft whisper, very raspy, and he thought, well, that's fine, You know, I'll get over this flu and it'll be better again, but he recovered from the flu, but his voice never recovered. And it was so bad, his voice, he ended up having to leave the pastorate where he was because he just couldn't preach, he couldn't speak. He found it very hard to find other employment because he couldn't speak, he couldn't talk, and he went to so many different doctors. Uh, He went to, in total, 63 different physicians. Um, He checked out his voice to see what was wrong, and he was even, his case was even scrutinised by this Swiss symposium of the world's leading throat specialists to try and work out what was going on. And the diagnosis was that the flu, this flu variant he'd had, it actually destroyed the nerves of his vocal cords. And the prognosis for recovery was zero, is what they said. This is You're never going to recover. You're going to have this for the rest of your life. And naturally, Dwayne was pretty devastated by this. Uh, couldn't do what he felt God had called him to do, what he loved doing, and his congregation loved him so much, they would invite him back to speak from time to time. They'd set up a special microphone just so they could hear his really raspy and, and uh, very quiet voice. And on one particular occasion, he came back to preach. He was preaching on the text, Psalm 103. And the third, third verse reads, "'God heals all your diseases.'" And Miller said later, he said, I, I, "'With my tongue, I was saying, "'I still believe that God heals, "'but in my heart, I was screaming, "'but why not me, Lord?' why haven't you healed me? And he went on to the next verse, which says, the Lord redeems your life from the pit. And as soon as he said the word pit, this this choking sensation he had on his voice for all these years, it it was released. And Dwayne said, for the first time in three years, I could breathe freely. He recalled, I heard a gasp from the crowd. And that's when I too realized my voice had come back and I could hear myself and He said, the congregation was stunned and they began to clap and cheer and shout. His wife was in the front row and she was just in tears, couldn't believe what was going on. And he said, Miller stammered out, he said, I don't understand what's going on right now with this fresh new voice. And subsequently, they did doctor's examinations and they were just in awe. But the amazing thing is that this this actual occurrence was recorded. They actually got a recording of him actually preaching that day and it coming. Would you like to hear the recording? Have a listen to this. Have a listen to Dwayne Miller. To say that every
1: single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true, won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry, that's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again, is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment I'm not quite sure what to say or do (laughs) I'm <laughs> Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> is an church,
0: isn't that amazing, Chips? Isn't incredible? Praise God. Praise God. Today, um, Dwayne Miller is actually pastoring Guinea, He hosts a radio program now, believe it or not. and. Uh, And he wants to tell others about a God. This is his words. He wants to tell others about a God who he is convinced still performs miracles today. He says in his words, you see, God didn't just restore my life. He said he amplified it. That's what God wants to do for each one of us. God, our God, is the God, a miracle-working God. But let me ask you this morning. Do you think this was a, you know, Dwayne's healing, was that a supernatural act of God? or Do you think it was better explained as some sort of spontaneous remission that only coincidentally occurred while he was quoting the Bible on healing. I know that the very concept of a miracle can be a big faith obstacle for many, many people. Are miracles real? Do miracles really happen? Surely only the naive and the uneducated would believe in miracles. Is the message that we get told in our, in our post-enlightenment scientific age. Some people think that the, the people in the Bible only believed in miracles because they were primitive and you know, had such limited understanding of science back then. So of course they believed in miracles. But what's interesting is that when you read the Bible accounts, you see that those people who witnessed the miracles were just as astounded, just had just as much trouble believing as we would today. You see it there. Doubting Thomas, many others were in awe and they couldn't believe. It's interesting in this section of scripture in Joshua 4, it, we read that it says that the people hurried across the Jordan, in other words, they were, they were a bit sceptical about what was going on, they were nervous, <laughs> what is this, this is not normal, they were having trouble believing what was going on and people in ancient times, they weren't naive or uneducated, if you study history, you will know that the, their achievements were phenomenal and outstanding, what they did. But despite all their knowledge, they were amazed at what they saw and were convinced that it really was a miracle that God had performed. Dr. Craig Keener is a highly regarded, renowned New Testament academic. As part of his studies, he researched the evidence for miracles around the world today in our modern era. And to do this, he followed a very strict criteria, very rigorous academic research criteria where every miracle had to be documented evidence by medical reports, having multiple eyewitness accounts. But even with his very strict criteria, he ended up with so many examples of modern day miracles that he had to write two large volumes, two large academic volumes. And he said, I could have gone further. I could have done more. And you can read that two volume of academics, um, those two books if you want to. But thankfully for you and me, he's also done a much shorter summary edition called Miracles Today, Dr. Craig Keener, and I commend it to you. But the evidence for miracles is overwhelming, but God knew there would be times where maybe we'd forget that God is a miracle-working God. When we just get caught up with the pressures of the day to day but God wanted his people to build this monument so they would always remember that they would never forget that he is a miracle-working God. That is our God. He is the God of the supernatural. He is a God that is so big that there is no mountain too big that he can't move, no obstacle in our lives that He can't overcome, no situation or circumstance that is too far gone for Him. And He wanted those Israelites, every time they walk past those stones, to remember that this is who their God was. This is who our God is, amen? He is a miracle working God. After the first service, I passed a number of people that come to me and said, we're a miracle. They had two kids, said, we were told we couldn't have kids. Here is our miracle. Another young, young dad who we have been praying for for months, he said, I'm a miracle. I was a miracle. You're a miracle. Jeanette's got an amazing testimony of healed. We should praise God this morning. This is who he is a miracle, a miracle God. The God of the impossible. The second truth that God wanted his people to never forget is that they could do nothing without his empowering presence. Across both chapter three and four, there's this big focus on the Ark of the Covenant. It's central and everything that's happening on. Jodie mentioned it in her message, and it's here again in chapter four. Everything centers around the ark, the ark has to be, go first into the Jordan, the ark has, the ark has to remain in the center of the Jordan while the people pass through and, and wait for the ark. Everything is centered around the ark, which represented the very presence of God with his people. And it's so clear here that, that, that without God's presence, there was no way they could have crossed over that river Jordan into the inheritance that God had for them. And this is still true for us as believers today. The big difference between Joshua 4 and for us is that Praise God, we no longer need to carry the ark around, which is a blessing, I wanna tell you. Praise God, we don't have to do that because that would probably be my job to carry the ark around, so I'm very thankful. But Jesus, Jesus through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, he's opened the way. He said, I'm gonna give a gift to you, the gift of my very presence, God's very presence, the Holy Spirit who's gonna come as our helper, our advocate, God's very presence dwelling within us. And in the same way, we can so easily forget that we, we have this power within us. We so easily rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own resources. But God says to his people, he says to us, I want you to remember that you can do nothing without the empowering of my Holy Spirit, my very presence with you. That's why we come and we pray. That's why we prayed on Thursday night, that outpouring, we come to you and say, God, we need you. We can go nowhere without your presence. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on revival, says the following, it's one of my favourite quotes, he says, you have not sufficient power. You must become aware of your need, of your impotence, of your helplessness. You must realise that you are confronted by something that is too deep for your methods to get rid of or to deal with, and you need something that can go down beneath that evil power and shatter it. And there is only one thing that can do that, and that is the power of God. And we too must become aware of that. We have got to feel it until we become desperate. We must ask ourselves, how can we succeed if we do not have this authority, this commission, this might and strength and power? We must become utterly and absolutely convinced of our need. We must cease to have so much confidence in ourselves and in all our methods and organisations. We have got to realise that we must be filled with God's spirit and we must be equally certain that God can fill us with his spirit. And we must be confident that God has this power as much today as he had 100 years ago and 200 years ago. And I'm going to add in there and back thousands of years ago when the people crossed the Jordan. And so we must begin to seek the power and to pray for it. We must begin to plead and yearn for it. This kind needs prayer. This is the truth that God wanted his people and wants us to never forget that we can do nothing without his empowering presence. And that's why as a church, we we seek to pray and to seek him. We wanna keep seeking him more and more and say, Spirit of God, would you come? Would you show us? Would you lead us? And part of this too is that God is saying to his people, don't you ever put your hands on my work. Don't touch what I'm doing here. You didn't cross the Jordan. You weren't the ones that brought yourselves from the promised land. I did it. Don't touch my glory. Every time you see those stones, remember. It's the same for us. As God works and moves among us, he's looking for a humble people. A people who will acknowledge and give glory to him and what he's doing. That won't won't touch what he wants to do among us as his people. There's one other important reason that God instructed them to build these stones here at Gilgal, and that was because he wanted them to never forget that they had a responsibility to pass on this faith to the next generation. You see it there in verse 6. He said, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Tell your children. Later, he repeats it again in verse 21. He says, make sure you tell the generations to come. That's why these rocks are here, to remind you of responsibility. God was telling his people that these experiences of faith, that they are experiencing, that they are witnessing, these miracles that he had performed, they were not just for them, but they were for the generations yet to come. It's the same for us. We need to always remember that we have this responsibility to pass on faith to the next generation. And let me tell you, they are watching us They are watching us. They want to see the reality of faith in our lives. They are watching us when we worship. They are watching us when we pray. They are watching us when we forgive, when we live generous lives, when we seek to lay our lives down for the sake of others and for the kingdom. They are watching us. Words are not enough, I want to tell you that. They're looking for the reality of the power and the grace of God in our lives. Thursday night, as we gathered for the outpouring, it was such a powerful night to witness all those baptisms. But there was a key part of it. I was so aware on the night that part of the reason for the best blessing of God flowing was because there's a couple in our church, Anthony and Cashini, who put their hand up and said, we want to be baptised at the outpouring night. Now, Anthony and Cascini, their kids are all grown up. They've been Christians for many years, mature in the faith. It's a big thing to, to get baptised, you know? And uh, they could have had lots and lots of reasons not to be baptized. They know, well, baptism wasn't going to save them. Their faith was secure. They knew all that. But they had this prompting of the Holy Spirit that they were meant to get baptized, even as mature Christians. And they humbly took that step of faith and obedience. And I think we've got a photo of them on the screen getting baptized on Thursday night. But what then happened is after they got baptized, it it just opened the way (laughs) for a wave of others and they get baptised. All younger, young adults. And I know, I was so aware of the night that their step of faith and obedience, their example, the reality of God's love and power and presence in their lives opened the way then for others. And the others, the younger crew that came forward and got baptised and said, oh, I was just prompted by my spirit as I came, as I knew, as I heard. And six more were baptised on that night. Praise God, Thursday night. We should thank him, I think, today as well. Amazing. I love how Psalm 78 puts it. It says these words we will tell, this is our prayer as a church, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will tell each tell their own children. So each generation, this is the prayer, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting. His glorious miracles and obeying his commands. This is our prayer. I am so thankful for the generation that's gone before us in this church, for their example of faith and the trust and obedience, the stories. We often say here, we want God-only stories of generations to come. We'll talk about the stories of when they stepped out in faith and prayed and God turned up and did a miracle, that we stand in the stream of that blessing. But our, our calling now is not to kick back and to relax. Our calling is now that we, are the same, to to press in, to step forward in faith, not just for us, but for the generation yet to come. Some of you might not realise, but we have our own stack of rocks here on the property, just out in the garden here. When God opened the way for us to get the fifth block of land and so we could build this auditorium, if you remember, we held a special prayer meeting that night and we had people gather on every corner of this property. And five stones were brought in representing the five different blocks that God had given to us. And we put them in the garden. It was a powerful night as we prayed. And we put those stones there so that we would always remember that it was God who did it, that God had this plan. We, had, we didn't know what God intended to do on this this block in, in Bridgman Downs. But we want to always be able to share that story with the next generation. Hey, this is what God did. And there are more stories yet to come, church, more to come. We're to continue to press on in faith. You know, our spiritual memories are are very short. We all need to be reminded constantly of some of the most basic realities of our Christian experience, the foundations on which everything else depends. And we no longer have the memorial stones at Gilgal, but Jesus has instituted for us a number of ordinances for us to follow as reminders for us. The first is, is the word of God. God has given us his word in, in their permanent written form so that we can come back to them day after day. It's a blessing to be reminded of truths that we need to bed deep within our hearts. The second is the opportunity to gather together and fellowship with other believers. It's so important as we gather together to encourage one another, to worship together for instruction, for fellowship and, and yes, of course, we need to keep growing in our knowledge and experience of Jesus. But also, so often, the significance of this time is a deepening of what we already know or a new application of old truths rather than some startling new discovery. You might come along thinking, "Oh, you know, am I going to learn something new? But it's as much important about coming and some of those truths that you know, coming to you afresh, being reminded again. And the other one is baptism, another powerful symbol that God, ordinance that God has given to us, that Jesus, in fact, commands us to follow. It's a marker in our journey of faith that we can look back on. And you remember, yeah, I remember that moment where I declare what Jesus has done for me and a proclamation to others as well. Powerful ordinance. And I encourage you again, if that's something that God's been prompting you to do, take that step. Blessing for you, but not just for you, for others, the next generation as well. And Jesus also gave us um, this sacred meal. He gave us the last supper. He said, I want you to take this. He said to his disciples, I want you to take the bread and take the cup and I want you to eat and drink in remembrance of me, he said, until I come again. And so as we close this morning, I'm going to invite the band to come out and we're going to share. I think it's just so right that we share in communion this ordinance of remembrance that Jesus has given to us. You can take your little cups and feel free to prepare them as you come, as we come to share together. But this message, this section in Joshua, I don't want you to miss the deeper meaning behind this story, and that is it's pointing us to the fact of our salvation that is found in Jesus alone. It's incredible, in fact. The truth that um, the Exodus coming out of the Exodus was a representative of the people coming out of slavery. the same representing of us coming out of slavery to sin and death. But then here we see the crossing of the Jordan. It's about a stepping in now and stepping into the inheritance that God has for His people. It's the same for us. That moment that we come to faith in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us, not only did He rescue us from slavery to sin and death, not only did He rescue us, the other incredible part of this is that He also has brought us in to an amazing inheritance. And sometimes we talk a lot about the bringing out, but we forget to focus as well on the coming in to the incredible inheritance and blessing that He has for us. You know, the crossing of the Jordan River, the Red Sea, they were amazing miracles, but there is a far, far greater miracle that these are pointing to. And that is the miracle that God, the Creator God would send His very own Son into the world he would die on the cross for us, pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty that we deserve, take our place, die the death that we deserve. But not only that, but he would then three days later rise again, <laughs> conquer sin and death, giving us the opportunity to experience life anew in Jesus, the assurance of eternal life and receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade in him. And I wanna tell you that inheritance is not just for when... We cross from this life into the next. No, it's actually for here and now as well. And maybe you realise this morning you, you, you haven't stepped fully into that inheritance. Well, this morning it's an opportunity for you just to step in. And you know how you step in? You start by remembering. You remember where you were before God came and redeemed you and rescued you. You were a sinner in slavery, the fear and sin and death. But as we come to Jesus in faith, Promises to redeem us, to rescue us, and then to bring us in this incredible inheritance. So, this morning, as we share in this meal of communion, I want to ask, pray now, and just ask Jesus to help us to know these truths afresh in our heart. And maybe for you this morning, you're here and you realize you've forgotten some key truths. You've drifted, it's led you down wrong paths. The good news is this that our Heavenly Father, you can turn to Him at any moment. He's a God of compassion, full of grace and kindness and mercy. Right now, this morning, you go, I realize I'm far from him. You can just turn to him now. And he will meet you in that place as we share in community again. He wants to meet you in a personal way that you would know afresh, that inheritance that he has for you. So I want to encourage you to take hold of this opportunity to do that this morning. If that's you, let me pray as we come to share. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal that you have given to us to remind us of all that you have done for us, thank you for this miracle, the greatest miracle of all, Jesus, that you would come, that you would die, take our place on the cross, take the penalty for sin, that you would rise again, that we might know life anew in you, being born again. Thank you for the inheritance that you have for each one of us that we'll place our faith and trust in you. And so now as we take the bread and the cup, Lord, may these truths, Lord, may by your Holy Spirit help these truths to take hold in our hearts, we pray. In A fresh way this morning, we ask, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The night Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you, take and eat in remembrance of me. Why don't you take the bread now, the way for now and eat that as we give thanks in our hearts. same way after the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take drink of this cup until I come again, until I come again in remembrance of me. Let's drink together with thankful hearts. Oh Lord Jesus, we are the most blessed people in all the world to know these truths. And so now, Lord, our right response is just to worship You, to honour You, to praise You, to lay our lives down before You, great God. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us with Your people, things You are yet to do. Oh Lord, come, move among us, move in this community, this city, this nation beyond, Lord. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' Name, Amen. We're gonna worship in these next few moments as we just declare these truths. If you're here this morning and you have a need, We've been talking about a miracle working God this morning. It's an opportunity for us to respond in faith. If you have a need this morning, where you need God's help and His intervention, I want to invite you to come forward during this song and some of our pastors will be down the front. They'll pray for you. If it's a healing need, they'll pray for you. If it's some other situation or circumstance, you need God's help. Come this morning in faith. He is here with us. That God might help in that situation. If you're here this morning saying, God, I need a fresh empowering Your Spirit. I've been doing it in my own street. You come, come and kneel at the front or be prayed for. Let's stand together as we worship. You feel free to come. Let's respond in faith. Declare these truths this morning.